0: I don't know if you remember years ago, the classic movie in 1967 with Paul Newman, Cool Hand Luke. But there's a famous scene in there where the warden says, Luke, what we have here is a failure to communicate. I don't know how he ran those words together. Communication is at the heart and soul of all relationship. And it is especially at the heart and soul of family. So it's a very complex and at the same time a simplistic perspective this morning that I want to look at as far as communication. Here's what we know about communication. We know that there is nonverbal and verbal communication and that actually it's been, as I did a lot of research, I found that as far as influence, that verbal communication has 35% of the punch, but nonverbal has 65%. Of the impact. Now, here's a case study of how that works. How many of you here have a mother? Would you raise your hand? Should be on the boat on that. Okay. How many of you remember a look that your mother gave you that taught you the fear of God? Can I have an amen? Yeah. So, you know nonverbal communication works. All of us know that. Proverbs 18.21 says that the tongue has the power of life and death. So I want you to just focus as we're going to get in some areas of communication on this one sentence, that words matter and actions count. Words matter and actions count. Just to give you an example of the power of words and the weight of our words, um, I've asked some good friends to come out that are working with their college 20-somethings, uh, Andy and Jessica Fry. Would you guys come out? Let's give them a big hand. Now, Andy and Jessica have been married 16 months. Can we all? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's pathetic. Quit that. Okay, anyway. So this did not happen. This is fictional. But uh, let's just play this out a little bit. Okay. Jessica has had a terrible day at work. Terrible day. And on the way home from work, she thinks, what can I do to pick up my spirits? And she thought, you know what? I need some comfort food. So she goes home, she opens up the refrigerator, and there is that homemade apple pie she had baked for her husband, but she's going to eat a huge piece of it. She's going to put some whipped cream on it. She's feeling very solid about the decision. And then Andy comes home, and he greets his lovely wife, and he says these inspirational words, honey. Are you sure you want to eat that pie? Don't you want to fit in your swimsuit this summer? (laughs) Did I mention she had a very bad day? (laughs) Okay. Now, Tom mentioned a couple weeks ago, and this is a valuable lesson, that that word honor actually means weight. So the words that we use actually carry weight. From Andy's perspective, his words were clever, maybe even a little motivational. So the weight of his words, from Andy's perspective... Now, Jessica, the weight of those words were a little different. They sounded something like this. (laughs) How many of you can relate to that? Anyone? Let's give them a big hand. I remember years ago, uh, Marie and I read a book that's very uh, influential, really was, and it was a book called The Blessing by Gary Smalley and John Trent. And in that book, They talk about the patriarch of a family was responsible for five blessings. And what I loved about those blessings that were bestowed upon the kids is three of those blessings had to do with the spoken word. And they were simply to speak words, to express high value, and to actually picture a special future for your kids. In other words, it's so important for your kids, your grandkids, to let them know God has a future for them because the world isn't going to do that. The world does everything to kill the spirit, whereas a Christ follower does everything to bring a healing spirit with our words. Years ago, it was VBS, and I was the most obnoxious age you can possibly be, 13. Do we have any 13-year-olds here? Let's pray for them, okay, because this is a hard year. Okay, so I was 13 and cocky and obnoxious. And it's the summer, and it's hot, and I come home, and I've been playing around all day. And my mom says, tonight it's VBS, yeah. And I'm like, oh, no. And Tom was my youth minister. I don't know if you guys knew that. And, uh, and so Bob Graff was going to pick us up. Bob was the deacon. Do you all remember the smiling deacon at your home churches? That was Bob. Everything was praise the Lord. And he had this big smile. And at 13, I said, really? Bob's picking us up. So... Mom said something spiritual like, "Shut up and get in the car." So anyway, I, I, um, I scoot over, and here's Bob, you know, smiling Bob, and Mom, and I'm in the middle. And Bob says, "John, what do you want to be when you grow up?" And I said, "Bob, that's easy. I'm going to play center field for the St. Louis Cardinals, and I will never mow a yard again." <laughs> My mom let it settle in, and she said, "Well, if he doesn't make the Cardinals, I think he's going to be a preacher." And I remember thinking, I would rather be a gangster. (laughs) No. And when I got to church, I'm like, you won't believe it. But my mom told Bob Graff I'm going to be a preacher. And I remember my friend's response like, right. (laughs) But mom would every so often, she just plant a seed. God's got got a future for you. And those words are powerful. I want you to realize, everybody in this room, God has a future for you. And he wants you to pass that on to other people. He wants you to realize that as it tells us in Proverbs 12, 18, that reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Think about the power of the words. Because, you know, this morning, every one of you came in here, and here's what we all have in common. We all are carrying baggage, every one of us. And there's two kinds of baggage that you're carrying. The first is you remember words that came out of your mouth that hurt somebody. Words that crushed a spirit. Words that as soon as they rolled out of your mouth, you could just see the countenance of somebody and they just, you could tell you just, you pierced them like a sword. And we would do anything if we could take those words back. But you also have had words that have pierced you. And you came in here this morning, some of you, and you are so wounded. You remember hearing words you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're dumb, you didn't make the team, you're fired. And the ultimate, I don't love you anymore. And you bring those scars here. And you're hurt because you know firsthand words matter. And so when we read about communication, Don't take lightly the words that you use. Matter of fact, there's an important lesson that I've learned over the years, and it has come uh, hard for me, and I'll tell you why. When I went to Bible college, I took a lot of classes on public speaking and uh, homiletics and advanced preaching. And I know what some of you are thinking. You should have taken a few more classes, and I understand that. (laughs) I never had one class on listening, not one. It was great. I had a physician after one of the services, and he said, you know, that's an interesting job because that was a class that we took as physicians on how to listen because it's critical that you listen. I thought, boy, that is important for all of us to realize how important it is at times to not say anything. A matter of fact, some of you may be watching the playoffs, baseball that's going on right now. I don't know if you are. There's a little team called the St. Louis Cardinals that's playing still. And I remember hearing some broadcasters, and uh, they were it was like a class setting, and uh, this is their instruction. They said, there will be these times when the moment is huge. I mean, it's the bottom of the ninth, or this guy's, uh, the guard's getting ready to make a last-second shot. And if that shot goes down, if that guy delivers the hit, and the place is going crazy, and I love this. They said, let the moment breathe. In other words, don't talk. You don't need to talk. Let the moment breathe. And I think how many times in life I need to let moments breathe. That silence is more than golden. Many times it is necessary. I was at a funeral a few years ago, and as I was going through the line, the visitation line, uh, the guy in front of me, and it was a gal that had lost her husband, and he looked at her and he said, Boy, this is really hard. I'm sorry. And then, uh, no lying, this is what he said, but it could be a lot worse. And I remember thinking, Really? <laughs> I mean how much worse could it be? And then I felt sorry for him because I thought how many times in my life I've done the same thing. I've got to say something. I've just got to say the right thing. I've got to share the right verse. And you know what? sometimes the greatest thing you can do nothing. Just listen. Joseph Bailey years ago wrote a, a book called View from a Hearse and he he talked about two friends. And I may have shared this before, but it's, it's an important, important lesson. He said his child had died. He was just heartbroken. And after the funeral, his first friend, he said, came in and proceeded to share with him scriptures of comfort. And how God will not allow us to, to go through more than we can handle. And, and yea, though we walk through the valley of death from Psalms 23. And he said, deep down I prayed this thought. Lord, please get him out of my house. He said, then another friend came. He gave me a hug, he sat down, and he just let me cry. And he let me share that I loved God, but honestly that I was a little mad at God right now. And when he left, I had another prayer. And the silent prayer was, Lord, I sure wish he would stay. See, I want to be that kind of friend. I pray that you want to be that kind of friend that there really is a time to communicate, which means words, and there really is a time to not say anything. It's more important to be interested than it is to be interesting. That's why I'd like you to turn with me over to Luke chapter 7. The reason I love this text, about a year ago, one of our elders, Tobin Wingard, uh, at a prayer meeting shared this story, and it it just really touched me. And so I talked to Tobin afterwards, and he said, hey, John, there's a great book uh, that you would love. And he said, it it is a book called The Gospel of Amazement by Michael Card, who's also a musician. And I read that uh, section on Luke 7, and I, I love what he pointed out. He said, you know, here's what you need to know about Luke. So when you're reading this, remember the guy that wrote it. Luke was, number one, a Gentile. Luke was a doctor. And culturally, from all the study that Michael Card pointed out, he said he believes Luke, out of their culture, was actually a slave or a servant. Because they didn't raise up doctors the way that we did. Then in the Roman cultures, they would actually pick the, the sharpest, but they would raise them up as doctors. But they really had no authority and really no influence. They worked under the, the, uh, the umbrella of the government. So he said, if you know that about Luke, and then you read these encounters of Christ, you, you begin to see, you know, Luke really does care about the underdog. Because when you read about the birth of Christ, he talks about the shepherds. When he talks about women, we need to understand that women in that culture, they weren't treated well at all. When he talked about the outcast, his heart was pouring out. And what got him is he could see Jesus treating the abused and the outcast in a way he had never seen before. He'd heard stories that just completely changed his life. So as we go through this text, please just listen to the heart of, of Luke as he writes these words, starting in verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Now just, just pause there. So I want you to think about having a di- dinner with Jesus. Okay? Now here's what, something that's, that's interesting about that thought. Uh, for years, with uh, junior high, high school, and college students, I've asked this question. If you could have a sit-down meal with Jesus, what would you ask him? And there's always two basic responses. The first one will probably resp- will surprise you. you ready for this? First, first question, am I going to get to heaven? Am I going to make it? And I understand that question, don't you? Jesus, am I going to get to heaven? Yes. Okay, pass the fries. I mean, then we can we'd have a great dinner because now I know I'm in, okay? You know what the big question is, though? What is my purpose? What would you like me to do? Now, what's interesting is when Jesus comes to the Pharisee's house, culturally, you would always do three things as a sign of hospitality. Number one, a warm embrace, usually a kiss on the cheek. Number two, you would take out a towel and you would wash the feet because they've been walking and the, the temperatures and the, the climate, everything, you'd wash their feet. Third thing is you would actually give them like oil, anointing oil, And they would run that oil through their hair and actually put it on the back of their neck because of the blazing sun. Now, we know from the scripture, Simon the Pharisee, he didn't do any of those things. Why? Because he had one thing in mind. I want time with Jesus. I don't want to waste any time with this hospitality stuff. I want my undivided attention with Jesus. And then an unexpected guest shows up. Go down to the next verse. A woman shows up. And it's not just a woman. It is a prostitute. Matter of fact, in that culture, this is interesting. If a woman was to let her hair down, that was a a huge insult. A woman was never to let her hair down in public. Matter of fact, listen to this. This is the writing of a rabbi in the time of Christ. Angels should not be tempted or seduced by the undoing of hair by a woman. Now, you see this Pharisee now. And he sees this woman and she lets her hair down and the heat of her tears and in her brokenness, she begins to wipe the feet of Jesus. Can you read his mind? Do you have any idea how angry he was at that time that this woman has the audacity to come into my house and take my time away and do this in a way that she knows culturally is totally off the chart? And Jesus reads his mind. And he shares this little story. He said, it's interesting. There was these two guys. One owed 50 denarii. The other one owed 500 denarii. And this landowner actually forgave both men of their debt. Wiped it out. Which one of those guys, which one of those guys thanked and loved the landowner more? And the Pharisee had nowhere to go. And he goes, oh, this is paraphrase. All right, Jesus. It's the guy that owed 500. I get it, I get it, I get it. And then I want you to look at this verse, verse 44. Then he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, Now read this with me. Do you see this woman? It's as though Jesus turned her face to the Pharisee and said, I don't mean, do you see a woman who let her hair down? I don't mean, Do you see a prostitute who's coming to your house? I mean, do you see a human being totally broken at my feet? Do you see her? Because that's the problem most of us have. We don't see. We just don't see. We don't see the brokenness of others. We don't see the hurt in others. We don't want to see that. And let me tell you, that communicates more than people realize. Do we see the brokenness in people all around us? Do you have neighbors right now who are broken? Do you see? What an incredible lesson because our words matter and our actions count. You've probably heard this quote before it's preach and if necessary use words by St. Francis. But i got to be honest, the only problem I have with that is sometimes I think, people think, the only thing I need to do as a Christian is just live a good life. I don't need to actually share my faith. And I think what we learn from Luke 7 is Jesus shares his faith verbally, but he also shares his faith through his action. Really, if somebody were to ask you, what's more important, that you live out your life in Christ, or is it important that I share my faith with others? Isn't that like asking what's more important, the right or left wing of an airplane? They're both critical. They're both important. They're both foundational, the way that we communicate the love of Christ. So, just to help us, give us a little edge this morning, I have a challenge for you. And here's how the challenge works. On the front of your bulletins, if all of you pull out your bulletin, there's a number in red, right under yes to love. And there should be one through 12. Okay? So when you go out, At every door, there's a table, and that table has these blue uh, pieces of paper. And on that paper, 1 through 12, and this is your challenge for this week. For example, number five. Uh, Number five says, write your neighbor a check for $250, okay? All simple stuff. Everything on here, very inexpensive. But it's just to get us as a congregation, as a body, this week, let's just move love out into our community and beyond, and let's see what God can do. If we will just take the next step, and communicate by acts of service and love, and not so much with words. I just want to close this morning. Um, this is something I heard years and years ago on the radio, and it always got to me, because I grew up in a small town. How many of you grew up in a small town outside of Bloomington? Anybody here in a small town? Okay. You know what I mean by small town living, you know, where everything takes place um, in the grocery store. There's not a stoplight. you know, and, and In small town living, everybody knows what everybody's business is and all that. And there's good and bad to that. But here's what happened and it it just was one of the neatest things. Uh, This little old lady would go to the grocery store every Saturday. Same time every Saturday. And she would not only go to the same grocery store, she'd only get a handful of items and she'd always go through the same line. And so this one day, I don't know if it was double coupon day, but the place was full and uh One huge line after another. But the express line, believe it or not, had opened up. And the woman with her four or five items decided, I'm still going to stand in this one line. The long line. She went all the way through. When she got to the cashier, the cashier said, oh, honey, um, there's an express line. So next time when you come back, if you only have a few items, you go through that. You get out in a hurry. And she said, no, no, no. I want to be in this line. And she said, well, why? And she goes, because I really like you. And she said, well, thank you. Why do you like me? <laughs> you know?" And she said, because when you give me change, you put the change in my hand, and you close my hand, and you always pat my hand. And you're the only person that treats me like that. And she said, come here. She gives her a big old hug. Now the manager's walking by. She said, Bob, she needs a hug. You know, so Bob's like, oh, okay. So he gives her a hug. They said for years, till that woman passed away, when she would come in on Saturday morning, it was like a -a hug-a-thon. Box boys dropping, everybody just hug, hug, here she comes, you know. You know what, I think that's a perfect picture of the church. I think this is that kind of place. That we look out for those, because I guarantee there are those that come here this morning, and you are hurting. You know, it isn't about, let's beat the Baptist to lunch. That's not why we're here. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, I know I'm going to get emails from the Baptists. I don't care, okay? It isn't. Let's get out of here as soon as we can because I got something to do. That's not what it's about. It's about when you come here, you'd say, it's not about me. It's not about me at all. It's I want to communicate the way Christ communicated. I want to see people the way He sees people. I want to talk to people the way that he talked to people. I want to love people the way that he did. It's not about what I can get out of church. It's how I can help when I come to church. That's how the body is meant to work. So this morning, I don't know what some of you are going through, but I have no doubt that there's somebody here and you have never accepted Christ as your Savior. And you just want to know what to do next. We want to challenge you. When this song is played, just to come forward Because there are those here that we just want to pray with you about that decision. And some of you throughout this message, you might think, you know what, I'm hurt. My spirit has been wounded or I have wounded somebody. And I really just need to talk to somebody. I just need to pray. We want to be here for you too as we stand and as we sing.